Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. The Senate trial for Donald Trump's second impeachment is in full effect, and I don't think we'll be able to get through this episode without saying at least a word or two on the matter. But before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about Lincoln Project Television, or as we call it, LPTV. Last summer, before the two presidential conventions, we decided, you know, why wouldn't we have a TV show where we would give our sort of unvarnished opinions on what we were seeing of both Joe Biden's convention and Donald Trump's convention. And so we started with an idea. We were just going to do it for two weeks in August. And what we found was that we had great hosts like Tara Setmeyer and Rick Wilson, who helmed our show, The Breakdown, which we still run on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And we also had a show called Vote for America, in which we really highlighted what was going on out in the states during the course of the presidential election. And from that, you know, we're now past the election. We're into the new year and we have a whole new host of shows. We still have The Breakdown. We have our new news hour program, The Lincoln Report, hosted by Nayara Hawk. And that brings me to my guests today, Lisa Senecal and Maya May, the hosts of our third show, We're Speaking, 9 p.m. Wednesday nights on LPTV, on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Lisa, Maya, thanks for joining me. Hi, Reed. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. So, Lisa, can you just give us a few minutes on who you are, a little bit about your background, and then Maya from you as well, and then we'll talk about the show. I live in Vermont. I'm a New England native, and I now serve as chair of the Vermont Commission on Women. I have a consulting company that we work with businesses around all sorts of gender discrimination issues. And now I'm doing We're Speaking, which is really exciting because it gives a great large platform for us to be talking about issues that have a real impact on women and you know women of color and women in general don't have the amplified voices that men tend to have so it's great to be able to talk to both the people who are on the ground dealing with the issues but also the people who are working hard to make change and maya how about you I'm a comedian. <laughs> well, thank God for that. <laughs> it's the thing that's uh, helping a lot of people get through this for sure. So I'm a comedian, but my undergrad's in poli-sci. And I originally wanted to be a civil rights lawyer, thought I was going to like change the world, make it a better place, and then discovered that all my lawyer friends were miserable. So I kind of tried to figure out how I wanted to contribute to the world. Originally, it was poetry. And my poetry was always, you know, about race, class, gender, politics, you know, so it wasn't like flowery stuff. It was, you know, kind of dark, but also funny. And then I am one of those people that when Bush won a second term, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm gone. And I did. I went to Argentina. Oh, it's beautiful there. Yeah, it is. So I was there for almost eight years and have been back now for seven as of this week, actually. And I started comedy when I came back. It was kind of my re-entry point back into the U.S. and just kind of managing a lot of 
difficulties that were just going on with the transition. And, you know, I kind of became known for that person who was, you know, always putting politics into what I do. Like, I can't write a joke that's just a joke. Like, my heroes are like Chris Rock. I want to write the joke that like changes how people view a particular thing or like flip something on its head. So, yeah, that's me. That's what I do. Well, Maya, before we continue, I think you should know that I am one of the people responsible for your exile to Argentina as I worked for President Bush in 2004. (laughs) So I am glad that you have not held that against me, but I am sorry that you felt like you had to flee to South America because of it. So, (laughs) um, but this is the greatness of what I think is the Lincoln Project and, and everything that we do is that we have a real open door and open hand policy, which is, you know, the last thing in the world we want is a bunch of people who think the same things about the same things. And you know, what you guys have brought to us, I think, and, and are bringing to your viewers, I think is something that's essential right now. Obviously, I think we should not overlook the idea that I think you got the name of your show from now Vice President Harris reminding then Vice President Pence that she was speaking. But, you know, you guys started the day of the inaugural and having watched so many swearing ins, having worked at two different inaugurals, listening to Amanda Gorman present her beautiful, perfectly timed poem. You know, for me, it was a cathartic moment. It was after this year of hard work, of dedication. What all did you take from, you know, seeing that moment and then being on the air that night? Amanda Gorman, I think, collectively blew the minds of most Americans when she performed. And it really was a beautiful performance. It wasn't just a reading. Certainly to see the first woman and the first Black South Asian woman who's a daughter of immigrants finally breaking that glass ceiling was incredibly powerful to watch her get sworn in. But because of what Trump had put us all through, it was equally powerful for me to see Biden get sworn in because it was just, um, it felt like we had a chance again. And it has felt for the past four years like women, people of color, immigrants, you know, so many different groups in this country have just been getting dragged backwards. And, you know, it feels like we have an opportunity to move forward again. So to launch that day, and you're right, the name is inspired by Kamala Harris saying, I'm speaking. It was the perfect day for us to be able to kick off the show because it felt like a day when a lot of women were getting their voices back. Yeah. And Maya, before I get your take, I just want you all to know, and I want everyone listening to know, um, I don't have what most people would call emotions generally. Um, but that moment, that morning, I was like crying my eyes out and not like gentle sobbing, but like a truly like ugly cry. You know, Rick and I were talking about it, like the year plus of like just totally intense work, dedication, all of this stuff. And then it just all came flooding out of me that morning. Um, it was cathartic in so many ways for so many of us. But Maya, what did you see? You know, obviously you said you went into self-imposed exile for the better part of a decade. So <laughs> what did that feel like to you? First of all, I love the idea of you sobbing. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm picturing that. I love white men sobbing. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's usually only at the end of Lord of the Rings or Star Wars that you get me. So, no, and I, For me, the, the experience was 
it was interesting because it's quite the opposite. I was on the bike, right? I'm on the Peloton and I'm actually, I, I had my laptop set up so I could also watch uh, all of the inauguration. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was like, yes, like my mom was on a work call. My daughter was trying to get through school and I'm like, just like, yes, that's why, that's why the fist bump, the fist. Like I was calling it out like it was a game I was watching. Like I was so into it because it was a power shift. It was like, yes, that like hope that we all want to feel but it was this new energy it was like as she's saying the national anthem as lady gaga saying i felt like she was cleansing the entire space right like that power of art to like refresh and renew it was beautiful and it really was like okay this was the reset right like it was the reset button that we we all needed and so for me as somebody who had kind of given up on america in a way like i was just like i'm done with you uh you know, I had like a little bit of guilt because I was like, oh, I could have been here to, like for a, a large swath of this to help build towards this. But yeah, it felt like, OK, we're back, baby. Like we're doing it. Like now we just need the great PR team to fix what we look like uh, to everybody outside of America. And yeah, we just need that PR team. The national anthem thing is so powerful because every time I heard the national anthem during the Trump administration, I always feel pride. But it was constantly mixed with sadness because we just weren't who we were supposed to be. And when Lady Gaga came out and was singing, it was the first time in four years that I had felt like, you know, just complete and total pride and knew that people around the world who were looking at us were seeing hope, like, God, maybe they're back. But with that celebration, and it was a celebration, we should note, one, that it was not a peaceful transition of power. It was a transfer of power, but it was not what we would like to think of as peaceful for the last 250 or so years. But also, I want to play a clip here, Rob, of what you all said the week after, which is you were glad there was a new administration, but you didn't want to be complacent about it. So we'll listen to that. We can't afford to look away. That's why we're here. This is where the real work begins. Yep. And I know everyone's exhausted. We are exhausted. And we have to pace ourselves and really take care of ourselves. But that does not mean that we can take a seat and get comfortable between presidential elections, especially white women. Most of the rights and power that women have, they weren't given to us. We fought like hell for them. And that's what it's going to take to keep moving things forward. Well, and I think, you know, look, we, we feel that way, I think, more broadly as well, which is, you know, Donald Trump went on January 20th, but he's not gone. Um, Trumpism is on the march. In fact, it is a powerful movement. And this is not a policy argument. It's not that like I'm suddenly like a left wing progressive. I'm not. But there's only one Democratic Party left in the country, and it's the Democratic Party, unfortunately. You know, look, I grew up in the Republican Party, right? I mean, here in Washington, D.C., I, I grew up going to the Capitol. My dad worked on the Hill for years. Um, and to see what's become of it is is sad and and fundamentally not only unhealthy for a democracy, but dangerous uh, for the country and for its citizens and for everyone who lives here and that, that around the world. But I also want to make sure everybody knows you guys have a little bit of fun on the show too. So I want to hear why you guys like to say for fuck's sake. It's time to name the winner of this week's Oh For Fuck's Sake Award, uh, given each week to the most inane, offensive, and this week dangerous character in politics. Our nominees for this week were Rudy Giuliani, Matt Gates, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And for those who didn't win, remember, it's a dishonor just to be nominated. 
That's right. And I don't know if I'm proud or what I am to announce this week's <laughs> winner among the losers, but Marjorie Taylor Green, you are the winner of our Stake <gasps> Award for cruelly denying that 9-11 and the Sandy Hook and Parkland school shootings happened for harassing a fellow member of Congress and generally being deranged, damaged, and delusional, and foolish enough to accuse the Lincoln Project of being behind your insurrection. You even attempted to Twitter dunk on AOC. And seriously, you actually believe that feminists are weak and we can't take care of ourselves. Oh, Marge. So... I just want to say that those three, Rudy Yates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, could be the evergreen nominees for the Oh, for fuck's sake award, that they could at any given moment always be on your list of three. I would say that, yes, not only did Taylor Greene accuse the Lincoln Project of being uh, behind the, uh, the insurrection on the 6th of January, uh, Rudy Giuliani went on Steve Bannon's podcast uh, I think it was a week or 10 days ago now, uh, and said the same thing. And it was so outlandish that even Steve Bannon said, well, come on, Rudy, you can't <laughs> you can't accuse people of that and then not cough up a name. And so when Steve Bannon is the voice of reason in a conversation, you know that that Rudy has clearly jumped the shark into a barrel of fine aged whiskey. <laughs> so your show is 9 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday evenings. Uh, can find it on the Lincoln Project's Twitter feed, Facebook page, or YouTube. And I want to talk a little bit about what we're seeing right now, which is Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. I think what has really brought it back to life for me, and I want to get y'all's thoughts too, is the video that I think the Democratic impeachment managers have done an excellent job of utilizing, not only because of the nature of what they're showing, but because they really have a good understanding of how Americans writ large intake information at this point, and they understand what's going to be visceral. Um, on the first day, Tuesday, they, they showed a 13-minute video. Throughout this second day, um, they have shown various pieces of footage. Um, I just want to say, and as a side, that Officer uh, Eugene Goodman is displayed not only in the clip we've all seen now, leading the protesters away from the United States Senate writ large. There's a clip of video now where he actually tells Senator Mitt Romney uh, you got to get out of here and you see Romney running away. And so I don't know if we've had a national hero, the scope of Officer Goodman, since I can remember, but we sure as hell have one now. Um, I saw someone on Twitter say he should earn the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and I, I could not. I don't get a vote in that, but if I did, <laughs> I would certainly vote for him. But Maya, I want to start with you. What's been your sense so far? And then I want to play a couple of clips. You know, I took my daughter to the Capitol a couple years ago. We went to the African American History Museum and it's larger than life. Like when you see it up close, it's larger than life. It's not what I remember from like my eighth grade trip. And so seeing it like that, trying to explain that to my daughter, like she didn't understand that people died. Um, she actually found that out today because we have the impeachment running and she's like, wait, somebody died. I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, a lot of people died. And that is so Beyond, especially as somebody having lived in, you know, eight years in a country that supposedly, you know, tons of unrest. You know, Argentina had a ton of unrest when we were down there, constant protests. And it was one of those things where it was like that would never happen in America. Like that would never happen here. And so to see it happen, to see it happen so violently, 
And then once again, it's an African-American, a black man who is single-handedly like Captain America out here trying to protect people, trying to protect our country, what we stand for. Like, it's a lot. Like, I, I'm to be honest, I'm still in shock. Like, I'm still overwhelmed by the whole situation because I'm just like, it doesn't feel real. None of it feels real. As well, you should be. And I think as well, we should, we all should be. Someone sent me something late last year, or early this year that said that the average big story in the United States in 2020, with the exception of COVID, lasted something like 72 hours. It didn't matter what it was. It was three days and it was out of the consciousness, which I think speaks to a lot of who we are and what we are and how we consume and process information, but also just how quickly these things can be forgotten and sort of compartmentalized and put away uh, if we allow it. And I, and I certainly think we should not and could not in good conscience allow that to happen. I mean, look, I, as I said, I grew up on the Hill. I was a page there in 1993 in the summer, I mean, you know, sitting on the House floor. You know, I've been there. Lisa, what have you seen so far? And then I want to play a clip from Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's the lead uh, impeachment manager, which I think also just demonstrated really what a good case they're putting on. I have been blown away by how effectively they've been putting the case on the last two days. I've seen video that I haven't seen before that is incredibly compelling, including that clip of Officer Goodman redirecting Mitt Romney. Uh, he was running toward that group of people who ended up chasing Goodman up the stairs. And if if he hadn't been turned around, you know, I really hate to think what could have happened to the senator. I don't know that ultimately it's going to make a difference to enough of the Republican senators who are apparently not even completely paying attention. I was reading Josh Hawley today is sitting back with his feet up on the chair in front of him and reading something completely unrelated to the impeachment while these videos are being shown. I mean, we're lucky he wasn't reading an Archie and Jughead comic, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, it's just I know that was happening during the first impeachment. But in this one, people died. It is not the same. And it is so disgraceful that someone who wasn't just there, but who was part of inciting this can sit there now knowing that what he did resulted in the deaths of people. And the injuries of well over 100 police officers, I only heard that for the first time a few days ago, there had been so many, not temporary injuries, losses of fingers, blindness, head trauma that people are not going to recover from. Well, and we should remember that two of those officers have also taken their own lives right. since that day. Right. So why don't we play the clip of uh, Congressman Raskin? And through the tears, I was working on a speech for the floor when we would all be together in joint session. And I wanted to focus on unity when we met in the House. I quoted Abraham Lincoln's famous 1838 Lyceum speech, where he said that if division and destruction ever come to America, it won't come from abroad. It'll come from within, said Lincoln. And in that same speech, Lincoln passionately deplored mob violence. This was right after the murder of Elijah Lovejoy, the abolitionist newspaper editor. And he depl Lincoln deplored mob violence, and he deplored mob rule, and he said it would lead to tyranny and despotism in America. Raskin has done, I think, an incredible job. 
We all know the tragic story of his son taking his own life, I think, late last year. And he's done, I think, a terrific job as, for lack of a better way to put it, the lead prosecutor. But, you know, for us, obviously, anything having to do with our 16th president, you know, we take personally. Uh, About a year ago, we were invited up to the Cooper Union in New York City, you know, right before COVID shut everything down on the 160th anniversary of Lincoln's Right Makes Might speech from 1860, which launched him into the national consciousness and ultimately resulted him in him being elected president. And I think it has a lot of resonance even this year now, which is he laid out what it meant to be wrong. And he knew and he called out the South for being wrong when it came to slavery. And he said, they will make any excuse to tell you why it's okay, that they will say it's our right it's our tradition, whatever the case might be, but they're wrong. They have no moral leg to stand on when it comes to this, no matter what it is they say. And I think what was so astonishing to me as I read that speech is that how much of it is mirrored in what we see today, which is you have folks, Trump supporters, who said, this is what I believe, and I believe it regardless of what it is you think about it. And if you try and come to me with an argument, I'm just going to tell you you're wrong and I'm right. And they believe in might makes right. And I think that's what we saw on January 6th, which is a friend of mine from Egypt said that, A, he was so sorry about what he saw at the Capitol, but his bigger worry was that when violence becomes an accepted political language, it's very, very difficult to get it out of the lexicon that people now begin to accept it. Like we've accepted so much and we have. We have mainstreamed far too much of this stuff for far too long. And so, Lisa, what do you think we have to do here as we move forward to start to do a couple of things. One is like bring discussions back like you all are doing, I hope. But two, show folks that this stuff isn't normal. No, it isn't normal. And you were mentioning just a few minutes ago about the 72-hour cycle that we had of being able to hang on to, recognize, and give the attention that was due to one outrage after another. And there was a process of desensitization over those four years where it took greater and greater outrage for it to be able to resonate with us at all. I hope that with the outrage not coming so frequently at us as we move forward, we're going to be able to start giving things the space to really report on them and absorb them and think about what all of these things mean that are happening in our country. But it's going to take a while. It's going to take a good while because I think we're addicted at this point to that rapid fire adrenaline rush outrage that we had for the past four years. And it's not healthy individually, and it's certainly not healthy for our democracy. And Maya, let me ask you this, just taking the time you spent out of the country and watching us from abroad and now having been back, I think you said about seven years. What's your sense of where we are and how we can move forward from this? Whatever comes next for us, both as a nation, whether or not it's because of COVID or because of our political state, will be new, right? There is no going back to where we were. So what does that look like as someone who spent a significant amount of time watching the U.S. from elsewhere and now here back home? I think this whole mob mentality, this mob thinking, like it really comes down to a lack of critical thinking skills, for one. Having observed from afar, um, 
I get to see how things are portrayed and pitched about what's happening in America. You know, so many things, the, you know, the Sandy Hook shooting, I witnessed all of that from abroad. And I think what happens is when people are so when you're in the thick of it, you can't see it. And Trump takes advantage of that because he puts people in the thick of it. He's a con man, right? And very similar to comedy where you create your own reality. And so you create a reality for the audience. That's what Trump does, right? So he creates the reality for his followers. He sells them on this idea. And so therefore, they're so easily swayed to this way and that way based on what he says. And so to get out of that, to move past that, we have to be able to step back, right? And for me, whenever I would travel, I love travel. Traveling was my way of stepping back and reflecting on my life from afar, almost looking at my life with an objective lens and going, wait a second, let me look at the bits and pieces here. And because we've been in the thick of it for so long and everything's so crazy and so insane, we've got this myopic viewpoint where we we can't see beyond. And so I think it's going to take slowing things down. And, you know, people feel like they're not being heard. And I know what that feels like because as a black woman, I haven't felt heard. And so I get that all the Trump supporters feel like they haven't been heard. And so now they're like, hey, you don't hear us. This is what we're going to do. But like you said, it's hard to put violence <laughs> to take that out of the lexicon once it's a part of the language like that. That's a very scary point. Well, you guys are taping tonight. So everybody listening to this will have to go and watch you. What are you guys going to talk about tonight? We're talking accountability. We need a whole lot more of it. I hope we get some of it. Um, we have a couple of really phenomenal women on. We have Amy Vanderpool, who is a freelance independent journalist, and she's been doing some great reporting on the seditious six and Trump and now the, the impeachment that's underway. And then we have Rachel Vindman coming on. Oh, great. Yeah, she'll be phenomenal. And she has a really interesting perspective on accountability and on Trump. So we're very excited to talk to her and you know get her take on what it's like the second time around to watch and you know see if this time there's going to be any accountability for this man who really harmed her, not just her husband, but her whole family. Right. And Rachel Vindman's husband is Alexander Vindman, uh, who was, a, I believe, a lieutenant colonel in the army at the National Security Council, chose to go before Congress and speak about what he'd heard and seen regarding Donald Trump's first impeachable acts vis-a-vis Ukraine. And, you know, but let me just as an aside say, there's no small amount of irony that Donald Trump got impeached the first time because he wanted Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden because he didn't want to face Joe Biden in the general election. He got impeached for it. And then Joe Biden beat him in the general election. So there is sometimes yeah. karma does <laughs> does work itself out. Um, but Maya, anything you want to talk about tonight? Yeah, we're also going to be talking to teachers, um, which I'm really excited about because when it comes to account accountability, they're kind of at the front lines of having to work with students and not only talk to them about what is happening and what happened on the 6th. Like, I just can't imagine what it must have been like to be a teacher that day and going, well, OK, how are we going to talk about this with my students tomorrow? So, you know, how do we talk to our kids about this? Because accountability does matter. And if we can't explain to our kids that, hey, there are consequences and they can constantly go, well, are there consequences? Are there really any more? Yeah. You only get one term as president. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's that's the good. <laughs> so, Lisa, where can we find you online? Is there anything else you want to plug? 
Maya is at uh, Maya on stage on Twitter. I'm at LC Senecal. Um, please do uh, follow us, follow the Lincoln Project and follow LPTV. There is so much good stuff happening on, you know, in all the shows. And I know there's another show that's going to be launching tonight as well, which is very exciting. So well, that's right. It's going to be a busy Wednesday night. We'll be having our first hour long news program uh, from LPTV and the Lincoln Project. It'll be called the Lincoln Report, hosted by Nayira Hawk. And that'll be on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays at eight Eastern. But of course, in this beautiful uh, everything's got a long tail kind of world, you can pick it up anytime you happen to get to Twitter, Facebook or YouTube. Um, well, guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Once again, everybody, don't miss We're Speaking, 9 p.m. Wednesday nights on LPTV. Lisa Senecal, Maya May, thanks for joining me. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, and to join our mailing list, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, check out our other fantastic LPTV shows, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmeyer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as the newest addition to the LPTV lineup, The Lincoln Report with Nayara Hawk, which airs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.